You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Glad you're with us as we are going to study Psalm 105 and 6. This set of psalms we have today Gonna, we'll consider under the heading of Sing Me Psalms to Remember. Hopefully not just uh, misty, long-forgotten memories of the way we were, or something like that, but a real and live and active remembrance of what God has done and also the continual sin and failing of men. We often like to, of all the errors of Israel... Of all their sin and departure and waywardness, we like to distance ourselves, saying, well, we wouldn't do that. Not unique in that, in that uh, the Jewish people of Jesus' time did the same thing. They go, oh, if we were there, we would not have. Put to death the prophets, Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you would have, and you're going to prove it, and they did. But when it comes to uh, glorious things, things of faith and victory and uh, uh, fidelity to God and the Blessings that flowed. We like to claim hold of that. We like, we, we like to have half of uh, the memory of Israel as our, as our spiritual uh, inheritance, as our uh, spiritual ancestors, as the origin of our faith. Uh, but what we find here in, in these psalms, and uh, these psalms have been together, they're linked together, not just by being placed next to each other in the book of, of uh, Psalms. But these two psalms were used as history lessons for God's people in First uh, Chronicles, in First Chronicles 16, when the ark was brought to Jerusalem and there was great praise and singing. Uh, the first 15 verses of the first psalm here, 105, are you. So if you're ever reading in Chronicles, you go, that sounds familiar. It is. It's, there, are, there are several places in Chronicles where there's uh, psalms. Uh, in other history places too. So uh, if the first 15 verses are uh, in Psalm 105, we would think probably the rest was too, but in the history book they just gave us the short version. But then also Psalm 106, the opening and closing uh, verses are also, they're tied and quoted, uh, tied to all this and and, uh, quoted in 1 Chronicles 16. So this pair of Psalms of the history of God and his people uh, they've been together from the beginning. These are songs that the people sang uh, when the, uh, when the uh, ark was brought to Jerusalem and just before uh, the temple was built in preparation for all those things. And so uh, we have these great song uh, lessons, uh, uh, psalm lessons here. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, I gave two handouts today. Uh, these have the same songs in them. So the songs of this one are in this one. As we did find out, this one has one of the songs accidentally printed twice. Uh, this one, though, the larger one, has some additional resources about how the psalms are used and quoted and made allusion to in the New Testament. Uh, the, there's a short version where you can see the direct quotes. Then there's a, a, a longer, it's three-page version, where all of the not just direct quotes of psalms uh, but also allusions to them are found in the New Testament. So you can look it up by Psalm, and New Te- then it'll show you the New Testament passage. Then the same information, but flipped, where you can look it up by the New Testament passage, 
So if you're reading in the New Testament and say, oh, that's okay, that sounds familiar, or that is a quote, where is it from? If it's from the Psalms, you can look it up from the New Testament side. So that material is in uh, the larger book. Also some information on some Messianic Psalms and the life of Christ in Psalms. So uh, these are yours to keep. I do want, and I am going to be printing enough of these to keep them at the building, probably especially this one in the smaller size. Because I would like, and you'll hear me when I uh, have an opportunity to lead singing, you'll hear me leading these psalms, I hope, on a pretty regular basis. Other song leaders, they'll be there for you to use. Take home as many of these as you like. If these uh, resources are helpful, or you want to take them home to read, or you want to share them, Please do so. It's been an awful lot of work for just to sit here at the building and not get looked at. But uh, five minutes every fortnight, um, I've been reading some British books, so I got, had, had to use the word fortnight. But, but uh, this needs to be used more than just five minutes every, you know, uh, bi-monthly. How about that? Uh, so uh, those are yours to keep. If you want to take more than one or two, uh, tell me so I can know to print them. Or, or if you need a set for something... I can get you that. If you just take it home by ones and twosies, uh, please feel free to take them home, but we'll have enough here that we can use them for singing. All right, back to our history. At various times, God gives his people divinely inspired history lessons. This is one, when they took the ark to the um, uh, uh, Jerusalem at the time of David. Maybe the first one was the book of Deuteronomy, where the whole book of Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law, is a retelling of the history of the Exodus, a history even of, of, uh, of creation to some degree in short form, and, and uh, the time in Egypt, but then particularly their history since they'd left uh, Egypt land. In Nehemiah 8 uh, and 9, when the people came back from captivity, there is a long history lesson led by uh, Nehemiah, uh, there and then a praise to uh, a praise to God and a great prayer of repentance in the New Testament in Acts chapter seven. Uh, there's the history lesson that Stephen gives. That at that point in development, there's more history to tell, and it tells even now of, of uh, how these things are being fulfilled in Christ. So, as the New Testament tell us about the things that happened before time, they're written for our learning and instruction. And even the people back in the before time, uh, from our perspective, were still getting history lessons to bring them up to date to the moment. And so in these Psalms of Remembrance, and uh, these are long Psalms, uh, uh, today we're going to cover about 90 verses of Psalms, but we're going to do like what uh, Paul told Timothy. He said, give attention to public reading of scripture. We're going to do a lot of reading, but these are self-explanatory. These are well-known stories. Uh, in, in many places, we'll not need to make as much comment. We'll make a few comments as we go, but today will be mostly a reading, a reading to remember. So, uh, verse 1, we're going to remember in Psalm 105, God's faithfulness. We're going to remember God's word because God remembered his word. Verse 1, beginning, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. We sing that one verse. I wish we'd sing more of it, but we sing that one verse in one of our hymns. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Praise. The Lord. 
And so give thanks, make known, sing, glory, tell, all of these, these words tell us to praise the Lord. And so remember who God is, remember what God has done. And so now our history lesson, our memory is going to begin uh, with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. So remember God to the patriarchs and how he treated them. O offspring of Abraham is servant, children of Jacob is chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. That's the key to this whole thing. God made covenants with his people. He remembered them always. In the book of Genesis, there's this scene where Abraham has a vision of the smoking pots and animals that have been cut in two. And that was a covenantal ceremony in the ancient world where the ones who'd make a covenant would cut animals in half and walk between the two halves of the raw and bloody carcasses. And part of the vow was, this is what should happen to me if I don't keep my word. And God actually went through a ceremony like that with Abraham saying, I have made a covenant with you. And he remembers it. If we don't remember anything else, remember this. Psalm 105, God keeps his covenant. Psalm 106, the people don't keep his covenant. That's, that's the history. God keeps his covenant. The people don't keep his covenant. Verse 8. He remembers his covenant forever. The words that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. Which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. So there we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, what, 73 went to Egypt? 600,000 men of war came out. When they were few in number, of little account, the sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Why did Israel survive? Why did Israel thrive? Why did they prosper? They were under the mighty hand of God by his covenant. I find it, I don't know, if laughingly hilarious or just sad at the exploitation of it. Uh, but this, this verse here, verse 15, touch not my anointed one, do my prophet no harm. Preachers today who preach the prosperity gospel the type of fellows who say they have the word of the Lord for their congregation, they love this passage. You don't hear them quote it. Basically, when anybody's in opposition to them. If you oppose the pastor, they're going to quote this. And act like when you're calling the, them on their excesses, doctrinal or, or lifestyle or, or of greed or whatever, they go, oh, touch not the Lord's anointed. Well, buddy, that ain't you. Just because you're the pastor of some church doesn't mean you're the anointed of God. You're not a prophet. Uh, but this was... The general warning God gave and, and helped uh, carry out regarding his people Israel. Yeah, there might be something about it that the faithful are under the general protection of God today, but uh, it's, it's, just, it's laughingly bad when prosperity gospel preachers called to account for their excesses quote this passage as though you shouldn't call them out because they're on God's side. No, 
No, these guys are not. And they're, they're violating the first commandment, which is don't take the Lord's name in vain. They are taking God's name in vain every time they mention it in their teaching. All right, back to our history lesson. So we've had the promise of Canaan. We've got the little people of Israel, the small group. And so now they go down to Egypt land. And so under the, the Joseph, and, and notice how uh, here the song speaks of this as God's plan the whole way, even though it should, certainly would not have looked that way to Joseph, like this is God's marvelous plan that he's working out. This will be marvelous in our eyes. And it's like, well, that's not how it looks today, but that's what it was. Verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. Sometimes people say, I, I want to be the Lord's worker. I want to do something for the Lord. Right, maybe he'll send you ahead like he sent Joseph ahead. How did he send him ahead? His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until he had what was said to come to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The rulers of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure, to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. So the way was prepared for Israel to go to Egypt by a man sent ahead, but sent ahead, it says, in hurtful fetters. Those were, those, were real, those were real cuffs. They really hurt. He was really humiliated. He was really treated that way. But he <coughs> was given head of all the things of Egypt. So then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foe. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. And so God was behind it. God was behind sending uh, Joseph down. God was behind the animosity the Egyptians had for his people to keep them separate, to get them prepared, get them ready to leave and go where God would lead them. And then we have God's faithfulness in the Exodus, his faithfulness through the life of Moses and the way he led the people. He sent Moses, his servant, verse 26, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, they performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. They, their land swarmed with frogs. Even in the chambers of their kings, he spoke and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain. And fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees. And shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locust came. The young locust without number. Which devoured all the vegetation in their land. And ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land. The first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribe who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed. Just imagine, try, just imagine singing this congregationally, singing this all as we shout. I, uh, one of the vacation Bible school songs my kids learned when they were young is about the, the plagues of Egypt. Uh, uh, blood, frogs, lice, flies, disease, boils. <laughs> oh, that's cheery. Well, Summary, right here out of the Psalms. Right here out of the Psalms. 
And so they sang this. That's, that's one thing. When you hear these things, and imagine if we sang that. Okay, everybody, let's turn. We're going to sing uh, Psalm 105. We're going to sing section 4. And, and then we, we start singing about the plagues of Egypt. And it, there's just something so visceral about it and so, so grounded, so earthy that, you know, we, we like to think so many times of, of our hymns. It's high and lofty strains of, uh, you know, celestial things above. And it, that's just not where we live, is it? That's not the world below. It's nice to send the mind there from time to time, right? It's nice to the eye of faith to see these beautiful, wondrous, and glorious things that await. But it's, it's a pretty grounded and earthly reality in the actions of God. To send a man who is hurting in chains, then to deliver after he had prospered the people so well, to send them, and they, they, they sing about all, or nearly all the plagues, and Egypt was glad when they left. Verse 38, Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen on them. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give them light by night. They asked and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. You know, if, you, if you're going to give water to two million people and their flocks, you are going to need a river, right? We think about them getting water in the desert. Water in the desert. How does that work? Well, there was a rock, and the rock started giving water. And sometimes I've seen that painted like a beautiful little pastoral scene. And there's a few people and a couple of lambs gathered around this little pool at the base of a There's two million people in this camp. How long would the line be? To get to the little fountain. No, it's not a little fountain like in your park. It's, it's water gushing out of a huge rock. And the rock, you know, probably had to be up on a hill so the water would flow down. And then where are all the people bringing their sheep? Well, somewhere along the water course. We got a new river in the desert. And that river flowed, that rock gave them water for decades. Because how long are they out there in the wilderness? No, oh, it's an amazing thing. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a river. It would have had to. It would have had to. And just think about the abundance of bread to feed the two million. Right? The manna from heaven. You know, if Wonder Bread had that contract, how big would the the convoy of bread trucks be? Right? Would have been semis rolling in every night, loading up the bread stores. Right? But at this, nobody had to go to the day-old bread store to save some money. Because there's tons of it out there every day for the families to pick up. No, just amazing what God did. Remember, God keeps his covenant. God provides for his people. That's Psalm 105. And then they go to Canaan land. Verse 42, he remembered his holy promise. And Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones with singing. He gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Remember, vineyards you didn't plant, right? Fruit trees you didn't have to do anything for. And they, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Oh, okay. He gave them that, that they might Keep his statutes and observe his laws. Do we see a problem on the horizon? Do, do we see the storm clouds coming, right? I mean, we can see this. 
Right? This, this is like one of those big blue walls of a northern cold front that's coming down on us. We can see what's going to happen because he, he was faithful so that they might keep his statutes. So Psalm 105, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, his remembering his covenant. And now Psalm 106. We're going to go back through and we're going to talk about the same incidents. We're going to talk about the same history. But not from the perspective of God's goodness to the people, but from the perspective of how the people were to God. Now we start with a man, the author here, who writes this, saying, Lord, count me as righteous, even though I'm amongst this folk. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, it does. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise. Who's worthy of it is the question. Maybe who knows it enough to to remember to do it? Who appreciates it enough? Who's educated themselves enough in the history of their people? Who's learned the family stories so they can do this? Who? Blessed are they who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. They are blessed, but we're not going to find many of them in the text to follow. Remember me, O Lord. When you show favor to your people, help me when you save them. That I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. That I may glory in your inheritance. Here we see a very personal plea. Let me, that I can see, that I can rejoice, that I can be glad. That I get to be counted as righteous and have a part of this. Because Lord who can do it. He, he's asking Lord count me as one of the righteous who can. But he says you know, even though we, who can do this. Still you save your people. Still you give gladness to your nation. Still you have an inheritance. And as we read through this we're going to wonder. How is that possible? How is there anything of this among, that these people are chosen? They're God's nation. They're God's inheritance. How? Because he remembers his covenant, that's how. And not by anything else. Not by anything else. So, the sins in Egypt, verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. See, this is the thing about a big spiritual heritage. We want this big spiritual heritage of Israel. We need to recognize what it really is. And we need to recognize there's some commonality with how we are, right? So we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedness. So don't always make that confession about them doing it. Notice the we. He's including himself, the author. Our fathers, when in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. We just read all those plagues and the great deliverance of the sea. And what were the people doing? Not remembering, not considering, They were rebelling, yet, like in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but, here's, yet, yet he saved them from, uh, for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as though a desert. So he saved them from the hand of their foe and redeemed them from the power of their enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, and none of them was left. They then believed his word. 
they sang his praise. Right? Exodus 15, the great song, horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. Right? Yeah, they believed after they saw. How many times are we like that? We believe after. Well, we should believe first. But how many times do we not believe but after? Well, they sinned in Egypt. Then they sinned in the wilderness. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. And put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked. But he sent a wasting disease among them. So they got what they wanted. But they also got chastisement. For their sin. Then they sinned in the way that they, they, oops, they uh, envied Moses and Aaron. He had sent among them this great leader. And they envied him. They were jealous. Verse 16. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron. The holy ones of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan. And covered the company of Abiram. Fire broke through in their company. Flames burned up the wicked. Core's Rebellion, number 16. Then they did the golden calf thing. They made a calf at Horeb. They worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. So instead of the transcendent God of heaven, they're worshipping a metal cow that they'd built the day before. What folly of idolatry and unfaithfulness. This, they, and the thing they built is just out there eating the grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. See, in Psalm 105, that's a reason for praise. Here in Psalm 106, thinking about that is a reason for lament, because they saw it but didn't care, didn't learn. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying him. And this is the celebration songs when they brought the ark to Jerusalem, right? This is how you get ready to build the temple. And it's like, well, why are we going to remember all that? Because it's reality. It's a very reality-based view here, isn't it? It's not all, it's all great and we were great and so were our fathers. It's not that because they weren't and they wouldn't be. This is a lesson for them going forward from today on. Try to remember And look at the history of Israel. And when from that day on did they ever remember like they should have? And so now we've got them coming up to the cusp of the promised land. But they didn't do well there either. Then they despised the pleasant land. Having no faith in his promise. No faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents. They didn't obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness. And would not make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. And then, in the wilderness, sin all the more. We mentioned in our Hosea lesson, Baal Peor. Baal Peor is kind of their you know, spiritual Gettysburg. Here's another mention of it, just by name of place. The incident with Balaam. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And eight sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds. And a plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened. And the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness. From, a, from generation 
to generation forever. There's the hope. There's the hope that was in the opening, the preamble of Psalm 106. Lord, here is the unfaithfulness. Lord, count me as righteous. Here's a man that in the midst of the worst time in Israel, in their spiritual Gettysburg, proved to be a hero, a man counted as righteous. And, and that needs to be our dedication, that we would seek to be counted as righteous by God, that we would be uh, faithful when others uh, would not. We'd always like to think we're going to be the spiritual hero of our story. Let's try for that. Let's also have some humility in that. And let's not count ourselves as having done it until we did. Right? Like the Proverbs say, let not he who puts the armor on boast like he who takes it off. Maybe we could be happy after we've done a few things. Not you know, as we're getting ready to or would do a few things. But here was a man who did. And a man showing us that we can be faithful uh, to God. It doesn't have to be this way. That's why this is also tragic. Of course, then they grumbled at Mirabah. Then they angered him by the waters of Mirabah. And it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter. And he spoke rashly with his lips. These people pulled down even Moses. They wore him down. And he was not able to go to the promised land. He who saved them repeatedly could not go to the promised land because they pulled him down. Well, once they got to the promised land, it all, okay, it all remained the same. Now they're in the promised land. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they become unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Well, I'm glad we're in the promised land now. Again, God is faithful in every incident, and in all respects. And the people are what? So, there's chastisement, but there's a memory of his covenant. Verse 40, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred their heritage. He gave them into the hands of nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in his purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. That is the summary of the times of the judges and of the early kings. And at that point, we are now up to the time that this was written. The time for the ark to be moved to Jerusalem and for the people to build a temple there. And you know what? If we would continue this song and story... With the people in the temple, what would it read like? It'd be more of the same, wouldn't it? It'd be more of the same. Nevertheless, God is compassionate and God remembers his covenant. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. See, here's our hope, folks. This is what eventually is the hope that's fully realized in Christ and in the gospel, 
in spite of everything, and if, if we think these Jews are bad, what if we had the song of the heathens? <laughs> right? I, my people weren't Jews. But if I had the ancient history of my, my you know, actual direct ancestors, it would read worse than this, wouldn't it? Nevertheless, is God looking upon people's distress, remembering his covenant, being steadfast in his love. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. And now the cry, save us, O Lord God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. What's the only hope as we end? The grace of God. The kindness of God. The remembrance of God. This is why people don't like this history. I think this is why people don't want to know this history. And people have this rose-colored glasses view of the history. And we want to pick which parts are our spiritual ancestry. But there's too much in us of these other things, right? We, there's too much in us over here in the red column. But thankfully, what is God in all respects over here in the blue column? What is he? He is faithful in every respect and in every time. And so, if this history were to continue through the uh, divided kingdom, through the captivities of Assyrian Babylon, uh, through the uh, restoration period in the second temple, it'd be the same, wouldn't it? And then if this were continued on into the age of the Messiah and of Christ, and it was the people in the church instead of the people in the congregation of Israel, how different would it seem then? I don't know, and in main things, it'd be much different at all, do you? So what is our hope? Our hope is to rely on God. Our hope is to seek God's grace and seek God's favor, to be those who, like Phineas, live in a way that we can be counted as righteous. And we know in the New Testament that's through faith in Christ, and there's no other way. So let us be faithful. Let us raise that call of praise to God and sing glory to him because he is dependable when man, man is not. With that, we conclude our songs of remembrance. Quite a bit to remember. I like the first half of the lesson better than I like the second. Because I like to talk about what God did rather than what we've done. And that's always so, isn't it? Let us sing his praises. Let us ask for his mercy and come to his grace. These things we now give to you and offer you the invitation if you need to come to Christ. If you need to come confessing him or confessing sin. We offer the invitations. We stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.